0: Good morning to everybody, as I trip over things here, hope I didn't unplug something there. Uh, Good morning. You all are probably wondering why I'm wearing a giant C around my neck today. The reason I'm wearing my giant C is because I want to match yours. You see, a lot of you are wearing a C around your neck. In fact, you do it every day. It's just that it's not quite as big and bold and it's not on the outside it's on the inside where nobody else can see it but you. You know what this giant C stands for? It stands for condemnation. And a lot of us wear our condemnation around our necks. In fact, I suspect that for some, maybe this very morning before your feet hit the ground, you're already starting to have those same Familiar thoughts of worthlessness and, you know, that you don't deserve God's love. All those things swirling around in your head like debris from an EF5 tornado. And we just many of us just live with it day after day after day. And we just kind of get used to it. And, you know, it's understandable because condemnation has been part of our story from the very beginning. You go back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve rebelled against God and there was punishment for their sin, God handed down condemnation. Uh, He he handed down condemnation to Adam, to Eve, to the serpent, because that's what our sin deserves. But just after handing down this condemnation, um, I want you to listen to what happens in Genesis 3.21. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, And he clothed them. See, after they had eaten from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says that their eyes were opened that they realized that they were naked for the first time, that they were ashamed because of that. It was kind of like, does anybody else like me have that recurring dream where you show up to school and you realize you're wearing nothing but your underwear? Thank you, Tim. I'm not the only one who has that dream, right? And it's horrible, and you're embarrassed, and you're ashamed, and you're like, this is awful. Well, with Adam and Eve, they didn't show up in their underwear. They showed up in nothing, okay? They, They had nothing, no covering. And, and they're ashamed. Now granted, they're husband and wife, but still they're realizing that they are exposed for the first time. And so God in his grace and in his mercy does something for them to cover them, to cover this sense of shame that came along with the condemnation that was rightfully handed down to them. And what he does is he provides a covering for them. And it wasn't just any old covering, by the way. It wasn't like, do you remember the Sunday school pictures? It was always like the fig leaves that would cover, you know, certain areas and things like that. No, this is actually garments of skin, which implies that God sacrificed an animal, that blood was shed in order for them to be covered. And this is a beautiful foreshadowing from the very beginning of God's plan to allow someone else or something else to become a substitute to receive the condemnation and the shame that comes with that, to receive that on behalf of somebody else. We fast forward, of course, to the New Testament, and we know that Jesus became this perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was a lamb or an animal of some sort that was without blemish. And then the ultimate fulfillment of that, as we were studying in the book of Hebrews here just recently, is that Jesus became this once-for-all sacrifice, this perfect Lamb of God, the sinless one, died in our place, took on our punishment, and it was a beautiful picture in Genesis of what was to come. As a result of that, here's what can happen. We don't have to wear this condemnation around our necks anymore. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes it gets a little tight, and it can be a little bit difficult to get off, but it's important to do so. So I'm going to just put this right here. Hopefully that'll, that'll stay for us just as a reminder of the fact that we can take that off, that we don't have to wear it around anymore. And so I want you to open your Bible with me and let's read about this further in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. I want to start with the first four verses of, of this chapter. It says, "Therefore." There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life. who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. A couple of things I want to point out, and we're going to read a little bit more here in a moment, but just really simple but powerful truths today. And the first one is this, that we are set free from condemnation. That's what we see in these verses. We are set free from condemnation. And there are a few really important individual words or phrases that I want to point out to you uh, that give us some insight into uh, why that's the case and how that's the case. And the very first one is the word therefore. Now, if you've been around church for a little while, you've, you, you know the drill on this, right? When you see the word therefore, you're supposed to look and see what it is. Say it with me. What it is therefore, right? Because it's always connecting a previous thought. And so when it starts out and says, therefore, we have no creditor, there's no condemnation for those are in Christ. We need to say, okay, what is that connecting to? And you go back to the end of chapter seven, Verse 21. I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Uh, so, so there's this thing of, you know, God has, has set us free. You ever feel like a prisoner? You ever, anybody relate to that and go, I can relate to what he is saying there, feeling like a prisoner to sin. And then that statement in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. I think all of us could relate to that. And and, and that sense of, man, I, I do fall short. I don't measure up. And we start to maybe entertain these ideas that God either isn't able to forgive our sin or God just plain old doesn't want to forgive us, that there's really not an opportunity for us to move on. And we live under condemnation, but we don't have to. Because the story doesn't end in verse 24. He goes on, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is the good news, that, that we are not stuck in sin anymore. We are not slaves to sin anymore. That's not who we are as followers of Christ, that we have been set free. And so we have freedom. And In light of that, therefore, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, that word no, N-O, is the next little word that I want to, to focus on for a minute. There is therefore now, say it with me, no condemnation. One more time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No means none. See, I, I think even those of us who understand the gospel, even those of us who, who know the truth of what has been done for us and we believe that Christ died to take on our, our sin and all those kinds of things, we still uh, even if we don't feast on condemnation, even if the majority of it gets taken away, we, we still kind of feed on those few little crumbs that are left over sometimes, right? It's like, yeah, there's just a little bit of condemnation, and I know that Jesus took that for me, but I'm still going to you know, just take a few of those little crumbs. Listen, what he's saying here is there is no condemnation, not just a little bit that is left over and most of it is taken away. He's saying there is zero, there is no condemnation for those who are in christ and that should be good news that should be encouraging to us to be reminded of that truth that, that there's there's just not any left at all now there's another little phrase there that i think is really important that i want us to, to, to focus on for a minute too and it's that phrase in christ there is no condemnation for those it says who are in christ Now, i have a little illustration here Stephen, if you wouldn't mind Uh, bringing these things. Thank you, sir. Uh, I have a couple things with me today. I have a couple of cups. And this first cup right here is going to represent each one of us. Okay, This is who we are. This one over here is representing Jesus. Notice the subtle correlation, by the way. I'll let you figure that one out on your own later. But we've got us and we've got Jesus. The Bible says there is no condemnation For those who are in Christ. Now, here's the thing on our own, we saw this in the book of Genesis, right? Because of our sin, there is condemnation. But when we are in Christ, now we take on the the character of Christ, we take on the righteousness of Christ, our self gets lost in Jesus and who he is. And so there's there's now now no way to get to that. That condemnation can't go through Jesus in order to get to us. So if we are in Christ, then we are set free from condemnation. To be in Christ is talking about relationship. You know, on our own, we're separate. We're, We're actually on opposite ends of the universe. But when we come to faith, what we're doing is we're coming into a close relationship. We get swallowed up in who Jesus is. And we are in Christ, and as a result of that, and and it makes it so clear in this passage as you read through Romans 8 and really the rest of the New Testament, that it's only through Christ that we receive this forgiveness and we are set free from our, our condemnation. You see, our sin is a big deal, and it does have to be paid for. Remember that our condemnation is deserved, but we also need to remember that Jesus took that condemnation for us. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And then it says, And so He condemned. See, God does condemn the sin here. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. It's just that Jesus is the one who took on that condemnation for us. And if we are in Christ then it's already been covered. It's already been taken care of. Jesus became that that sin offering for us uh, on our behalf. The reason he was able to do that, of course, is, as it talks about here, meeting the righteous requirements of the law, is because Jesus was able to do that for us. Because Jesus was a sinless, the only sinless person that's ever lived. Because he did perfectly meet God's standards, he was able to become that for us. None of us could ever do that on our own. But Jesus... Did that for us, and so when we come to a point of of surrender and a point of trust and a point of acknowledging that I am sinful on my own, I am deserving of condemnation, but Jesus already took that for me. So if I get inside Jesus, if I get in Christ, then I don't have to take that condemnation on myself. When we come to a point of faith and a point of surrender, then at that point, um, we're set free. So I would just ask you the question right now, and we'll come back to this again at the end of our time together, but just ask the question, are you in Christ Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you have made that decision to say, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to turn away from my sin and put my trust in Him? And if if not, why not? And why not today? Why not now make that decision to trust in Christ, to be in Christ? Let's see what happens for those who do, as we continue reading in verse five, it says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Here's a second Just kind of simple main idea that I want to explore today. And that is, it's easy to tell if we're in Christ. If we're in Christ, we're set free from condemnation. So that would be important for us to ask the question, am I in Christ? And it's pretty easy to tell. The Bible lays out some different things and different ways that we can tell, are we in Christ, not in Christ, and we'll kind of walk through those things. But but it talks about in verse 4 when it says the The righteous requirements of the law being met in us and then it it gives this description who live according to the not according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit and then it goes on in verse five and following and describes what's the difference between living according to the sinful nature and living according to the spirit or another way of saying that uh, those who have a relationship with christ who are in christ are the ones who live according to the spirit those who don't Are the the others, and it just lays some things out here. It's really interesting to me to see uh, how this is described. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate this, you know. The the more I read, especially through my New Testament, the more it becomes clear that the evidence of our relationship with Christ is the way that that we live. I mean, we can see that in how we live. It's not that we earn God's favor. It will be very, very clear, and this passage is incredibly clear about that. Jesus was condemned for our sin. He took that on for us. We will never be good enough. We don't earn God's favor. But when we come to know Christ, we're changed on the inside. And so that reflects in the way that we live. Now, one important disclaimer here, I think, is to say this. That's not to say that any time a person is not living in alignment with God, that that means that they're not really a, a believer, that they really don't have a relationship with him but I will say this, that, that, that if there's not some evidence in our lives that something has changed, that ought, to, that ought to cause us to ask questions. That ought to cause us to take a step back and say, you know, do I really have a relationship with Christ? Am I in Christ? Because from what I see in Scripture, that should impact the way that I live. Um, you know, One of the, one of the, the ways that it, that it talks about this, it talks about setting your mind on things. I don't know how you are. But I tend to be this way. If my mind is on something, like if I get on something, I'm really on that thing, whatever it is. Like if my mind is set on it, then I'm really focused on that and it can almost become all-consuming sometimes. But the Bible says that, that we should set our minds on the right things, right? And, and there, there are a couple of different examples that it gives. It says those who live according to the flesh, which would be those who don't know Christ, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So, a great question for us to ask is this Is what I find myself fixating on, is what dominates my thinking, are those desires of the flesh? Are those things that are contrary maybe to what God has revealed? You know, do I find myself saying things like and justifying by saying things like, well, you know, this is just. I am I can't help it or you know I know that God wants me to be happy or any other list of excuses and rationalizations that we might give that we think make it okay to pursue what we want I guess the bottom line is this or uh, am I more passionate about fulfilling what I want for myself or fulfilling what God wants for me that's the bottom line do we do we really pursue those kinds of things, and then, you know, say, hey, it's okay. God forgives, it's all gonna be good. One of the indications that we have come to know him, that we have been made new, is when our desires begin to change. And when we begin to long for the things that God wants for us. And of course, that's not an overnight thing, and I don't think you ever get to a point where it's like all, you know, you see that, Go back and read Romans chapter 7 if you ever question that. You know, the, 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 the battle, the sinful urges and all that still battles within us. But there is something else in us as well that is saying, I, I, I desire to follow this other path. I desire to, um, to, to go after those things that God wants. That's the difference. You see, there is a significant difference between condemnation and conviction over our sin. Even as believers, we, you know, we, we need to, to deal with things. We have issues come up in our lives, we need to deal with them. It's not that we ignore them. It's not that God just says, hey, it's all okay, you know, you're my child, do whatever you want, it's all going to be good. You know, that's definitely not how it works, but when we get out of alignment um, and, and the Holy Spirit begins to work on us and say, this is not right in your life and I want you to work on this. There's a difference between feeling con- condemned about that and feeling convicted about it. See, condemnation just leads to, to tearing down and destroying. I mean, think about it like this. Think, think about a sign that you might see. We have a picture of one of them here that you might see on a building. When a building is condemned, what does that mean? A building is condemned, it means that it's no longer fit for anyone to be inside of it. It's no longer safe. Some of you, by the way, maybe maybe feel like you have that sign posted over your life that you are condemned, that you are unfit for anyone to to actually live there, be there. That's what condemnation does. Condemnation prepares for destruction. And eventually, when a building is condemned, eventually that building is going to be torn down, right? Conviction is different. Conviction is is not about tearing down, but conviction ultimately is about building up because what conviction does is it makes us aware of our sin and it causes us then to confess and to receive the forgiveness that God wants to offer. So ultimately, it is a building up process. There's a significant difference between the two and it's important for us to, to, to understand the difference. Now look what happens as a result of those who 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 deal with things differently. Verse 6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There there is life and there is peace that comes from us having a a mindset that is focused on the Spirit. The, the, The irony here is that for the most part, when we are pursuing those desires of the flesh, as it talks about here, those things that are contrary to what God wants for us, Most of the time, the reason we're pursuing those things is because we're trying to find life and peace. The irony is that those things that we hoped would lead to life and to peace and would give us some sense of satisfaction in our lives, they actually just lead to death. And the flip side of that is that when we pursue the things of the Spirit, there is life that comes from that. There is peace that comes from that. Uh, So we just often look the wrong ways, exactly opposite many times of of how we should. Verse 7 describes it like this. It says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Isn't that a powerful statement? Apart from Christ, we're not going to submit to God's law, and we can't. We are incapable of submitting to God's law. It's only through the Spirit that it talks about in the verses to follow that we are actually able to submit ourselves to Him. We are incapable of doing that apart from Him. So, we need that experience of 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 relationship with god we need the uh, spirit inside us to enable us to do that and i love the way it's described there when it talks about uh what what the spirit does Uh, in verse 10 talks about our even though our body is subject to death the, the spirit gives life because of righteousness, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. I mean, this, this is a picture of what happens for us as believers. And, and by the way, um, it, it also makes it very clear here, if we do not have the spirit of God in us, then that means we're not followers of Jesus. The Bible's very clear that when we come to a point of faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and indwells us. In fact, it says that we are marked with the promised Holy Spirit. And so we have the Spirit of God in us. And then that same Spirit, and I love it's not the only place where where Paul talks in these types of terms, but but the idea of the, the, the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. If he had the power to take Jesus who was dead after he'd been beaten and crucified and gone through all those things and bring him back to life then certainly that same Holy Spirit that lives in us can give us life as well. He can empower us and and, and bring us spiritually back to life and and, and those kinds of things. So, great picture of the difference between a life that is set on the things of the flesh and one that is set on the things of the Spirit, that, that, that we have a desire to follow Jesus. You know, I skipped over one phrase in verse 2, and I did this in, on purpose before because I want to come back to it at this point. In verse 2, when it's describing what happens when we are set free from condemnation uh, or when we get past that, it uses this phrase, who set me free. Who set me free. And as we prepare kind of to, to, to wrap things up this morning, that's what I want us to focus on. Is the fact that through Christ, we can be set free. There is freedom that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. In fact, that's one of the hallmarks of those who know Christ. Sadly, far too many live in bondage because you're listening to the voice of condemnation in your life. You're listening to that voice that is constantly saying, God doesn't want you, God doesn't love you, you're not good enough, you'll never measure up. And the more you hear it, the more you start to maybe pay attention to it. Here's what many of us do. We, we basically in, invite the enemy in and, and just give him a seat at our table. Say, okay, come on in. I'm just going to listen to what you have to say. And and it's completely ridiculous. I mean, think about this. If if you had a thief or somebody show up at your door, you know, mask on, weapon in hand, are you just going to say, hey, come on in, you know, have a seat at my table. You're free to come and go anytime you like. You know, you're going to do everything you possibly can to shut that person out, to keep that person away. Why in the world do we not do the same thing when it comes to the one who wants to bring condemnation into our lives? Because that condemnation is coming from Satan. He is the source of all of that. And so when we hear those those thoughts and those voices and, and we start to, to to go down that path of condemnation, why in the world would we give him a seat at our table? I'll tell you why we do it. It's because we don't know the gospel. It's because we don't know that we've been set free. We don't realize the power that we have in Christ. We don't realize that through the Spirit in us, we don't have to put up with that anymore. See, I believe that that Satan is looking for people and even Christians who don't really know the gospel so that he can launch his missiles of condemnation into their lives and they don't know how how to deal with it. And they just receive it and they just kind of keep getting bombarded by it one after the other because they just don't know. Let me give you two things to do when that condemnation starts to, to creep its way into your life. The first one is this. I, I, I just want you to, to, to train yourself to say this, to acknowledge first of all in your mind that condemnation is real and condemnation is deserved. But then to use this phrase, I believe that Jesus was condemned for whatever it is. Whatever that feeling is that you're feeling condemned about, acknowledge it and say, yes, but Jesus was condemned for that. And I am now in Christ, and so I don't have to receive that condemnation anymore. Just point it all toward Jesus. and I mean, say it out loud when you're feeling that way. I believe Jesus was condemned for, and you fill in the blank. Here's the second thing that I want you to do when that voice of condemnation comes. I want you to realize that that is coming from the one who is already condemned and remind him of it. Why would you listen to condemnation coming from the one who is condemned already? We shouldn't. And just remind him, look, I'm not listening to you. I know that you're condemned. I'm not. I'm in Christ. And I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to wear my condemnation Anymore, You know, I mentioned a moment ago, it's probably about time to take off that giant C that we wear around our necks. But actually, on second thought, if I can get this back on, I want to encourage you to wear it. Go ahead and wear that C around, but realize that it stands for something different. That C no longer stands for condemnation. The C stands for chosen. You are a chosen child of God. You're no longer condemned because you're in Christ. Jesus took that condemnation for you. And so where you see, wear it proud. Let everybody see it. But remember, it doesn't stand for condemnation anymore. It stands for chosen. It could be that for some, you just aren't in Christ yet. Maybe, maybe you've gotten close. Maybe you've heard the gospel message before. Maybe you know what you need to do, but you just haven't taken that step to become one of those chosen ones. You see, Jesus wants a relationship with you. He died for you. He gave his life for you because he wants you to have a relationship with him you have been chosen by him the question is are you going to respond in faith and today I want to encourage you to do that I want to encourage you to to, to make that decision to say no longer am I going to do things on my own but I want to be in Christ because I believe that Jesus took that condemnation for me and I can be chosen in him if you've never prayed a prayer of faith and repentance I want to encourage you to do that today. In fact, we're going to put the words up on the screen for you here in just a minute. You can pray along with us, whether you're here, whether you're at home, uh, watching online. I want to encourage you to take that step to say, I'm going to become in Christ today by faith. So if that's your, your, your next step, and you know that you're ready to take it today, let's do it. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me, would you? If you're ready to invite Jesus to come into your life today and to to know that you are chosen, have a relationship with him, then I want you to pray this prayer. God, I know that I'm sinful. There are plenty of things in my life that deserve condemnation. But I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe that he rose on the third day in victory over sin. So right now, I place my trust in you by turning from my sin and turning to you in faith. Thank you for choosing and saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.